0: Hey everybody, it's Kendall from According Lounge, and it is February 28th, and we are going to talk a little bit about acoustic treatment specifics today. So, you guys should know at this point that I'm a huge proponent, proponent of acoustic treatment, and with good reason, it's because the facts do not lie. And I'd like to take a minute to talk about some of the misconceptions about acoustic treatment that some guys think and you know we all have spent time researching and whatever and so have I so you know things that I've learned things that are um, that might have changed I mean there might be old shows early early on where um, maybe I've said something different than this so I uh, just thought I would give an update to acoustic treatment we haven't done that in a while so um, let's talk a little bit and I and I've learned a lot especially from designing my own studio. Um, from the ground up so that that has helped me more than you know as far as learning a little bit more about acoustics and just the physics of sound and how it works what it does what it does not do so let's just talk about a couple of those things the first thing that we have to remember is that a good sounding room is purpose-built 90% of the time very seldom do we just walk into a bedroom and it sounds amazing it does happen but not super often I mean, the first step to having a good-sounding room is having a well-designed room. That means dimensions, materials, etc. So, if you can design a room, if you have the budget to do it, if, you have, if you're at a place in your business where you can do it, then go for it. Many times, though, we're in smaller spaces where we can't do anything about the geometry of the room, so we have to treat it. Uh, the first misconception is that um, smaller rooms don't need as much treatment because they're smaller. And uh, when in fact that is the exact opposite of the truth, generally smaller rooms need more treatment because they have closer, the the walls are closer together, the reflections are stronger, and um, generally speaking, when you you think smaller room, you think bedroom. And um, often those have very low ceilings, and often they have uh, very, very weird dimensions that don't work out well. For acoustics, so they might have something like ten by ten by eight, or, uh, or or eight by eight by twelve, or you know something like that, where there are you know divisions of each other and you know certain uh, dimensions that are identical, and that is just no good. If the worst room that you can possibly have is a cube, uh, meaning ten by ten by ten or eight by eight by eight, and avoid these rooms at all costs. They will just almost never provide a good sound, and. I mean, if that's all you have to work with, I mean, you might consider being a chef or something. No, I'm just kidding. But you really should try to avoid it and um, because know that if you do have a room like that, you will almost never be able to get it to sound great except with lots and lots of treatment. Um, Let's talk about another misconception is that... uh, you know, broadband bass traps, like 4-inch bass traps, are the only solution and the best solution for absorbing sound. Well, obviously, these types of traps have grown in popularity over the last 20 years. They've really exploded on the, you know, like, hey, treating your room is important now that uh, home recording, and really home recording in general has sort of exploded in the last 20 years, obviously. So, um, before, in the, you know, in the 90s, it wasn't really a thing so much. Like, home recording meant... A little, you know, two-track recorder maybe or, or a tiny, tiny little, um, you know, cassette recorder or something. You, you couldn't really get an expensive setup or even a moderately prosumer thing like wasn't around really. So um, anyway, these four-inch traps are usually two feet by four feet and they're four inches thick. Um, let's talk about a little of, uh, about these because there are some facts that um, you should be aware of. While these do absorb frequencies um, across the entire spectrum, it's not linear, so they will absorb mids and highs, and when I say mids, I mean, you know, 500, 400 hertz and above, Um, and so, but as far as low mids and lows, there's a lot of details when it comes to the placement of these things and how thick and where they are, and the angle of incidence, meaning the angle where the sound strikes them, um, that can really affect their performance. So, the first thing is that if these are flat on the wall, meaning just right up on the wall, um, the performance at low frequencies, below, you know, 200 hertz, is very poor. Even though they are, you know, 4 inch thick, and everyone says, oh, they're bass traps, blah, 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 well... They are bass traps in a way, if they are placed correctly. If they are not placed correctly, then they're really just a you know a low mid mid high frequency absorber. Um, let's talk about some of the statistics. So a four inch bass trap on the wall might only absorb effectively down to maybe 250-300 hertz. Which, I mean, most of the important musical information, you know, in terms of the fundamental notes in the vocal range, in the guitar range, in the bass range, in the drum range, most of the fundamentals are in the or lower than that. You know, 50 hertz to 300 hertz is kind of the fundamental range for most instruments. So spacing a 4-inch panel 2 inches off the wall will increase the low-frequency absorption quite a bit, actually, because now... Uh, these will extend to about the same effectiveness down to maybe 175 hertz. So you get an extra, you know, almost an extra octave just by spacing them two inches off the wall. And you might ask, well, how do I space them off the wall? There's a couple things you can do. You can uh, use picture hanging wire and then put some PVC pipe or um, so, like a two by four behind it uh, to space it off the wall. You can put two by fours on the wall and then attach the, um, you know, the panels to those two by fours. However you want, there's a lot of different ways to do it. but um, just know that spacing them off the wall just a little bit allows them to really work more effectively. Now let's check this out. Let's space it four inches off the wall. What do the statistics say for that? The statistics tell us that a four inch trap, four inches off the wall, will then extend your low frequency absorption to, uh, you know, a little more like 100 and maybe 50 hertz, maybe 140 hertz, maybe 130 hertz, depending on the model, the type, the, you know, blah, blah, blah. So you might get another half octave or, you know, something like that. Um, By spacing it four inches off the wall. And also your subsonic frequency uh, absorption improves, meaning the stuff down like 40, 50, 60, 70 hertz, that stuff improves too. I mean, everything below 150 hertz then improves. So putting them on just flat on the wall, I mean, you're, you're absorbing almost nothing at, you know, 50 hertz, basically nothing. And uh, you're really absorbing little to nothing below 100 hertz if they're flat on the wall. Um, so it's spacing them off the wall is absolutely important. However, what if we're using a 6-inch panel? It's okay, There are a lot of companies out there making 6-inch and 8-inch panels. Um, a 6-inch panel is going to provide more low-end absorption and virtually the same high and mid-frequency absorption. But the the low end, again, will be absorbing more. So let's look at the statistics for flat, 2-inch, and 4-inch space. All right, so one interesting thing to note about 6-inch panels is that they are a little more linear in terms of their absorption. They seem to absorb in a smoother uh, pattern in terms of, uh, you know, across from 300 hertz and below. Um, and if a 6-inch panel is flat on the wall you're getting pretty decent absorption down to maybe 200 hertz, um, which is a good thing. And if you space that two inches off the wall, you're getting pretty decent absorption down to maybe uh, 150 hertz. So that might sound similar to the other one, and it is. So you might be thinking, well, like, how do you absorb below 50 hertz? We're going to get there. Um, let's take a look at what the statistics would be if we spaced a 6-inch panel 4 inches off the wall, which means 10 inches, basically. Now, this is a huge amount of real estate for most home studios, to have a big object protruding 10 inches from your wall. But your low-frequency absorption is greatly improved, and I mean your low-low, you know, down to 50, 60 Hertz, and below, it's improved quite a bit. However, it's not nearly the level, it's still half the level. Below 100 hertz, that it is at 500 hertz. So, absorbing these sub low frequencies takes a lot of um, a lot of work. And some of you might be asking, well, then how do I just keep adding more and more, you know, acoustic fiberglass and and just uh, hopefully absorb the lows? Well, no, that is not how low frequency absorption is really most effectively done. Um, there is a product out there and there is a design philosophy and acoustics of something called a membrane absorber. Now, a membrane absorber is different than a porous absorber. So a porous absorber would be like your typical two foot by four foot Owens Corning 703 type panel. And these are great for just like broadband. You know, again, four inches are great for, you know, a lot of things. Um, the two inch panels are really more great for 500 Hertz, you know, maybe 400 Hertz and above. So don't just think, oh, I'll put up a bunch of two inch panels and I'll uh, see a bunch of improvement. I mean, sure, you will in your upper frequencies, you will in the frequencies that are most sensitive to the ear. So that's better than nothing. Um, but remember that if you really want to start absorbing low mids and lows, you need to get, um at least four inches thick of uh, acoustic fiberglass, and it needs to be placed in a logical spot. The most logical spot for bass traps, um, four or six inch, is in the corner because you get the benefit of spacing it off from the wall, but you also get the added benefit that most low end will build up on boundary surfaces and corners. So, um, you'll absorb more that way, and uh, sound will be able to go behind the panels and be absorbed on both sides. Now, a membrane absorber works like a drum. It is a sealed box. Now, most drums have a vent or something, but a, a membrane absorber is a sealed box, meaning airtight, that often will have a very little small amount of uh, fiberglass inside, maybe an inch, maybe two inches. And the box has a specific volume, meaning you know geometric volume, and it has a specific uh, the face, you know. Imagine just like a picture frame, essentially, but 3D. So maybe three inches out, like like a bass trap panel, except the face is not um, fabric necessarily; it's wood, um, so a a or or metal, and it's a very thin piece of material that will vibrate, essentially, making this box right just like a drum, and um, it's sealed to the wall and or sealed on its own as a completely sealed box. And the idea behind this is that when you create a certain size of this porous absorber, or I should say this membrane absorber, um, it will resonate and it will essentially self-damp it, the frequency that it is resonating um, because of ju- that's just the, fu- the physics of it. And so they... Now, the, the downfall with these is that while... They are extremely effective at low frequencies and you can get a 4-inch membrane absorber that will absorb to very low frequencies, you know, 70 hertz and below, depending. You might have to get a 6-inch if you want to go lower than that. Um, the problem is that they're tuned, meaning they only will absorb certain frequencies. They won't absorb broadband necessarily and they won't absorb... Um, the high frequencies because they'll reflect them back because the face is wood. Now you can of course build um, quite a few things that, that are combinations of these, and you can build you know you can build your own, but they're a lot more difficult than just building a, a broadband porous absorber. So there are companies out there, GIK and Real Traps, that make uh, membrane absorbers, and um, GIK makes one called the the Sonics or Sonus or something like that tuned trap. And that's what it is. It's a membrane absorber. And you can get these in, I'm pretty sure you can custom order to basically any frequency that you want, and it will absorb around a center frequency. So if you say, okay, I want, you know, absorber to an, to absorb 50 hertz, then um, it will absorb primarily that frequency and uh, maybe an octave around it. And uh, that's really nice for getting rid of resonances in rooms. Now, that of course leads to our next question. How do you figure out where your room is resonating? Well, in a perfect world, we'd just be able to hear it, right? But a lot of times it's extremely difficult to hear these things. These notes are very low, and it's difficult to really just, like, you can't just clap in a room and hear a low frequency. That's just not how it works. So, as a rough example, we can do frequency calculation with a wavelength calculator, so let's talk about this a little bit. So let's say you've got an 8-foot distance, an 8-foot ceiling, right? So essentially that will have a resonance. How do you figure that out? Okay, so the formula for this is you have basic two form, basically two formulas. You have the uh, formula to calculate wavelength, which is if you hear a pitch in your room – um then you can determine what dimension it's coming from and uh, a simple related f- uh, formula is to find out um, the frequency of a specific dimension or the resonant you know the the resonance between those two parallel walls. Um, and again the, these aren't perfect but they will give you a little bit of an idea of some of the things you're dealing with so the calculation is frequency equals speed of sound divided by wavelength, meaning, let's say, and uh, speed of sound for U.S. is 1,130 feet per second, roughly, and speed of sound for metric is 343 meters per second. So, let's say we're, uh, let's do the U.S. calculation. So, um, let's say we have an 8-foot ceiling, right? So, that means... Uh, our our equation is, I'm doing this by hand, uh, frequency equals 1130 divided by 8, and I believe that will get us something like 140, what is that, 140 hertz, so 1130 divided by 8, 141 hertz. So, What that means is uh, the octave above and below that will also experience significant problems. So 70 hertz and 280 hertz will probably experience similar issues. Now, if you've ever had trouble in your mix in an 8-foot ceiling getting 150 hertz or 70 hertz to really sound right, or if you feel like you can't get the kick right because it's around 70 hertz, it's either too big or too small, I mean that's a pretty common dimension in home studios. So you might need to get a tuned trap. Now one of the reasons that GIK makes a trap that's tuned to 70 Hertz is because 10, you know8 feet is a very common dimension for uh, a ceiling in a home studio. So that's a pretty good thing. Now, you will pay a lot more for a membrane absorber. I'm just warning you. The technology requires a lot more specific calculations and specific sizes. And um, so it's not necessarily just going to be as cheap as a bass trap. Um, it could easily be twice as much, if not three times the price. But it will greatly improve the sub frequency, you know, frequencies below 100 hertz. So let's do another example. I'll do this one in meters um, just because uh, I want to be fair to my uh, overseas listener. And I mean, come on, let's be honest. I'm pretty sure America is the only one using the – everyone else is on metric anyway. So Um, all right. Let's say you hear a tone in your room. Let's say it's 500 hertz. Like you hear – you know. and how do you figure that out? Okay, so easiest way – and you can go online and get uh, charts that show frequencies of notes – um, that show you know oh a g sharp is this frequency or you know a equals 440 so um, let's say you're in your your tracking room and you you know are singing different pitches like or whatever and you hear one of them ringing resonating let's say let's let's just say it is 220 hertz that's easy okay so you can look on a frequency chart and you see that 220 hertz is an a. Okay, so in the metric, the calculation, again, you have two formulas that you can use. They're basically the same formula, just switched around, which is uh, wavelength equals speed of sound divided by frequency, or frequency equals speed of sound divided by wavelength. So because we know the frequency, let's see, we're hearing that A, you know, and you can hear that in the room, hear this little, or whatever, this creepy, eerie, ringing sound. And you can uh, you know check on a tuner, a chromatic tuner, and see what frequency it is, and then um, look up the actual hertz unit. So let's do the calculation. That would make it um, wavelength equals speed of sound divided by 220 hertz. In this case, we'd have wavelength equals 343 meters per second divided by 220 hertz, which gives us 1.56 meters. Point five six meters, which equals about five feet, uh, 5.1 feet, meaning, um, any dimension that has five, so, uh, five feet dimension, which wow, that'd be a really small dimension for a room, but also 10 feet, also 20 feet, um, little less, but 15 feet, and, um, so, so those dimensions will have issues. So, if you're hearing that tone, if you're hearing an A, which would be la. Then any time you play an A in that room, you're going to have issues with ringing. And oftentimes, when you play just about anything percussive, like drum sets, you're going to hear that ring and all this. Now, then you can look and say, oh, okay, so 1.56 meters. What dimensions do I have that are that match that division? And let's say you have one that's you know double that, or three times that, or four times that. Then you know that those are the walls. Where those uh, between those two walls is where that frequency is coming from. Um, and just for the US guys that are like, whoa, 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 let's say if you have a wall that is 220 hertz, uh, has a resonance there, that means it's going to be about 10 feet or 20 feet. Um, so that means you need to treat those walls. So all of this is not to, you know, make your brain hurt or make you be like yeah that doesn't matter because the point is really um, rooms are imperfect they're never going to be perfect you can't design a perfect room you can only design the best room that you can and a lot of times in home studios you are simply putting a big band-aid on an existing room that may sound terrible on its own Um, in my experience good sounding rooms sound good empty And I mean completely empty. No carpet, no furniture, nothing. Good sounding rooms sound good, completely empty. And bad sounding rooms sound horrible, completely empty. So be aware of that and be aware that um, you need some thick panels to absorb some of these frequencies. Because most of your problem issues are going to be below 300 hertz. Because um, the low mids and the mids, a lot of those come from... um, multiples of the low frequencies if that makes sense so if your room if you're having trouble in like the 500 hertz area you might the real root cause might be 250 hertz or 125 hertz that are really causing that problem it's just easier to hear 500 hertz Um, our ears a little more sensitive to the mid-range frequencies so you might be hearing a multiple, or you might be hearing an octave, or a harmonic, or something of an actual problem frequency. So, do these calculations for your room. It might help you get an idea of, you know, some issues that you might be encountering. So you can do one for each height, width, depth. If you have an angled ceiling, just try to take the highest and lowest and uh, average them. So if you know it's 10 feet up in one side and 8 feet in the other. Just make it nine feet, and that might be a pretty decent example. But also try to try to take the the peak of the roof, also of the ceiling. So if it's a let's say like a cathedral ceiling, um, take an average, but also take the uh, the the f- top part. So whatever the highest dimension is, take that also. Um, that will give you a good idea of maybe some of the frequencies that are resonating. Now, another commonly misunderstood. Um, part of acoustic treatment is diffusion and why is that? Well, diffusion is expensive and it looks funny and we're all like looking at it like why does that cost that much? It's just some wood. Well, diffusion is a very complex calculation and it requires precision engineering to design something correctly and I mean with a CNC machine I mean uh, very specific, very accurate uh, measurements to actually work effectively and uh basically what diffusion does is scatter the sound in different directions and at different times because the you know there's what they call the wells of the diffuser which is the you know how deep each one goes and or how far one extends however you want to look at it um each one has a different resonant frequency as well as because there are different distances or depths then they will reflect sound in a different way At a different time at a different speed which will scatter and sort of make the waves less coherent and not sound much like a reflection and sound more just like ambience now good diffusion costs a lot of money and uh, but it's amazing what it can do it really is it's amazing how diffusion can help the room sound a lot better it'll kill flutter echoes um it'll really keep but it'll really keep the ambience in the room and you won't feel like you're in a tiny stuffy room, which absorption can sometimes do. Um, it, you can make the room sound great, but suddenly now the room has no has no top end, it has no clarity. it has no like it seems a little dull. And you know that's a bit of a problem. which again, if you're in a professional facility or if you have a big budget and you can afford membrane absorbers, the face of these is usually reflective. So you're absorbing the sub sub frequencies below 100 hertz um but you're not absorbing really anything above maybe 200 hertz in in terms of um you know everything else is being reflective reflected by the wood face or the metal face and um so it's really interesting how all these things can play together into one system. I mean, ideally, in a perfect world, you would have a little bit of everything. So you might have some diffusion to uh, scatter some of these standing waves and scatter some of the uh, the higher frequencies really and um, and and create a sort of a more diffuse environment and, uh, and and keep in mind that diffusers don't really make a room sound like it has more reverb. That's a common misconception. Diffusion doesn't really, like, add reverb to a room or something like that. Um, It just retains what is there, and it creates sort of a nice-sounding, you know... What's there is nice sounding. The reflections are not as harsh. Um, they are not as strong, meaning they uh, don't bleed. You that helps prevent bleed in microphones. Things hitting the wall don't reflect as as strong, so um, what comes back to the mics is not as strong. And uh, that's another common thing with absorption or diffusion is that you know if you have your room treated well. You'll get less bleed. You'll get less ambient noise. You'll get less, you know, room sound. You'll get all these things, and you can space a mic. I mean, in that last uh, quick tip that I posted, um, you heard that all. I mean, all of those mics or were the same distance away from my mouth, which was twenty inches. So even in that vocal booth, at almost two feet away from my mouth, it sounded pretty close to me. And in the live room, you could clearly hear um, ambience, but. And, and again, these were in Omni, so they were picking up the sound of the room. But in the vocal booth and in my control room, um, you could almost hear no ambience whatsoever, even 20 inches away. So treatment can do incredible things. Um, so again, back to our ideal scenario. You have some diffusion to you know retain your ambience, yet um, keep... Uh, keep the sound that's coming back into the room, not as strong and, and, and sounding nice and sounding more, uh, or I should say less coherent, but that's a good thing. Um, then you have some membrane absorbers to absorb the sub bass things below a hundred, 150 Hertz. And, uh, those could be in corners. Those could be, you know, perhaps, uh, you could split it up where the low part of the room. So like uh, the low four feet of the room has membrane absorbers in the corners, and the higher corner, the higher part of the corner from four feet to eight feet, has the broadband absorption. And uh, you have broadband broadband absorption on the walls to help absorb, you know, anything basically above 150, 250 hertz. And if you're in a space where um, you primarily just need to control a little more highs and mids, but you don't want to absorb any more bass. You can actually use the two-inch panels, flat on the wall, and it will pretty much only absorb mids and highs. So uh, you can really use these things to their advantage, to your advantage. So let's say you have um, these tuned bass traps, and they are absorbing pretty nicely below hundred hertz. And uh, maybe you can get away with putting a 6-inch trap right on the wall or a 4-inch trap you know, spaced an inch or or two. Maybe you don't have to space it 4 inches off the wall. Um, But keep in mind that all of this stuff works as one system. It's not just like, oh, I can get this one thing and my room will sound better. You you kind of have to have a little bit of all of it to really create this coherent system that all works together to create a good-sounding room. And again, you might see some studios, some professional studios, and you might think, well, they don't have tons of bass traps. Well, a lot of times they have false walls and they have um, you know, membrane absorbers and Hemholtz resonators and all these panel absorbers that have a wood face. So it looks like the wall, but it's actually a huge bass trap. Keep that in mind. Don't just go off of pictures. That's idiotic. Don't don't just look at pictures and say, "Well, what do they do?" Um, that never works in basically anything on recording or or mixing. Don't use your eyes to learn. You know, I mean, you can you can see things. You can obviously read things, but I mean, don't look at a picture and say, "I'm gonna do it like that," because there are lots of factors that are going on. Um, use your brain. Think about these things. If you have questions email me, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. Check out the blog, recordinglounge.blogspot.com, and be a part of the Facebook uh, group, facebook.com slash recordinglounge. I do freelance mixing and mastering for a nominal fee. If you want anything, any information regarding freelance mixing or mastering Um, questions about new shows, suggestions for new shows, questions about this show, questions about acoustic treatment. Um, I'd be more than happy. I also do acoustical advice. Um, I am not an acoustics expert. However, I have designed my own studio and lived through many of the challenges that you guys have, uh, have faced in smaller home studios. I really have because I've been in home studios before. I've been in my own home studio, and there are so many things that you can do better. I know there are, and I know you guys want to strive for the best. So um, I I do acoustic consulting, and if I can't answer your question, I will send you to someone that can. So I will be honest if it is a complicated question that I can't answer. So email me, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. I always appreciate the emails. I love talking to you guys. And I've been getting more emails lately, and I like that. So keep them coming, guys. I will talk to you next time.